0: from the darkest reaches of space to the deepest corners of your mind your mind welcome to from the void satan beelzebub lucifer old scratch, the antichrist, the father of lies, the devil. He goes by many names, but for most of us, there's a specific image that comes to mind when we say his name. It's a scary man with horns, a goatee, cloven hooves, a tail, and holding a pitchfork. We know him as the source of all evil, the creature who rules over hell with his army of demons, bent on capturing as many to his side as possible. Waging a war against God from the fiery eternal pit known as hell, we hear people curse his name, see him possess people in movies, and use him as a reason for having done something bad. The devil made me do it. We hear stories that at one point he was an angel who tried to overthrow God and was banished to hell until judgment day arrives. So where does this imagery come from? How did we come to the version of the devil that we see in pop culture today and our common understanding of hell, the devil's home? The devil is arguably most prevalent within Christian culture, but is present in various forms within many other religions. Within Christianity, the devil plays a sort of evil yin to God's good yang. He's the lord of evil who is in constant cosmic battle against God and all that is good and loving. He is the true adversary or enemy. So let's look at the devil, or as he's originally known in the Bible, Satan. The fascinating thing is that Satan as a term is used vastly different in the Old Testament versus what we see in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the term Satan derives from the Hebrew word satan and is generally accepted to mean adversary, accuser, opponent, or to obstruct. The first instance where we see the word satan is in the book of Numbers where God sends an angel to act as a satan or obstacle to block the path of a man named Balaam. Here, Satan serves as more of a description of an action versus being an actual person. God then sends this angel to act as his Satan or obstructor. There's no evil connotation here, just an angel doing as God asks. So how did Satan go from an action to the Lord of darkness? Well, for one, historians and theologians point to a misreading in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 12, as part of the reason, where it says, How you have fallen from heaven, O shining one, son of dawn! How are you felled to earth, O vanquisher of nations? When we look at the pre-Christian Greek version of this passage, we see the use of the phrase ho-hios-phoros, which translates as morning star, the star they called Venus. Similar to another Greek name we use for Venus, phosphorus, which means burning bright, as Venus is the third brightest object in the sky. More on this later. Obviously, we know now that Venus is not a star. More to come on that. When translated into Latin, the word is Lucifer, which has the same root as lux, essentially translating to burning bright or day star. So here we see Greek translated into Latin, translated into English, in the widely used King James Version of the Bible. The original King James Version was used as the preeminent English translation for hundreds of years, and we end up with a very different version of that same verse in Isaiah, which reads, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. In the original margin notes of the King James translation, the original translators included a note that it could also be read, O Star." As a result of this widely used English translation, a lot of modern translations continue to use the word Lucifer and even continue with the old English style of capitalizing it as a formal name. Somewhere around the 1600s, this word began to be used as a synonym for Satan. So, if Satan doesn't appear in the Old Testament books of the Bible, then how did Satan turn into a being by the time of the writing of the New Testament books? The period of time between the last writings of the Old Testament and the writings of the New Testament is referred to as the intertestamental period. This period is thought to have lasted roughly 400 years, and a lot may have happened during this period of time. So what did occur during this period that led to the sudden appearance of Satan as a deity who opposes God and is the cause of things like demonic possession? In order to potentially answer this question, we have to first look at what was happening at the time in ancient Judea. During this period, Judea would have been under Persian occupation. The Persian Empire, under the Emperor Cyrus the Great, allowed the Jewish people to return from exile in Babylon, rebuild their temple and continue to practice their religion. The Persians at the time widely practiced a religion called Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism is actually one of the oldest monotheistic religions in the world, and at the time of Cyrus the Great was one of the largest religions in the world. There are some similarities of note between Zoroastrianism and Christianity. For one, both believe in one single god, a heaven and a hell, judgment day and final revelation of the world and a messiah, and angels and demons. These were all things that were included in the teachings of the ancient Iranian prophet Zarathustra, or as he's known in Greek, Zoroaster. At the time of Persian rule, the Jewish people would have regularly worked alongside Persian merchants, and perhaps some of the Zoroastrian philosophy made its way into Judaism. Jewish scholars had long wrestled with the question, if God created everything and God is all good, then where did evil come from? Zoroastrianism may have provided a solution. The entire faith of Zoroastrianism is predicated on the struggle between God and the forces of goodness and light, represented by the Holy Spirit, Spenta Manu, and Angra Manu, or Aruman, who presides over the forces of darkness and evil. Free will also exists within Zoroastrianism, where humankind has to choose to which side they belong. They also believe that although humankind has a choice, that ultimately God will be victorious. The difference here is that even those condemned to hellfire will get to enjoy the blessings of paradise. Fun fact here, Freddie Mercury from the legendary band Queen, and arguably one of the greatest lead singers in the history of music, was extremely proud of his Persian Zoroastrian heritage. There are many other similarities between Zoroastrianism and Christianity, like the Zoroastrianist belief that we should be truthful at all times, practice charity, love others selflessly, practice moderation, make friends of enemies, make the wicked righteous, and make the ignorant learned. So let's focus back on the possible influence of Zoroastrianism on the Christian concept of the devil. The Zoroastrianist version of the devil, Angra whose essential nature is expressed in his principal epithet, drudge, the lie, which expresses itself as greed, wrath, and envy. Angremenu created a horde of demons, embodying these qualities to assist him in his mission to attack the light. Another possible influence could have come from the Canaanite religion and its creation story. In that story, the elderly chief god El creates the rest of the Canaanite pantheon, sort of these lesser gods, and they go and live on a mountaintop. One of the deities that he creates, he names Ahtar. Ahtar is said to be beautiful and wise, and he loves his status on the mountain. But one day, and this should sound slightly familiar, he decides that just being a lower level deity isn't quite enough. He feels like he's equally wise and powerful to El, the creator guide, and wants to sit on the throne, and so declares open war on El. Not a great idea. El basically throws down and easily defeats Ahtar, the would-be usurper, and exiles him from the holy mountain, and sentences him to the underworld. That should definitely sound familiar. It's very similar to the idea that Satan or the devil was once an angel who got too greedy and was thrown into hell by God. Another interesting note about the story is that Ahtar was also associated with the planet Venus. Again, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but in the age before telescopes and the understanding of the planets and the stars that we have today, people commonly mistook Venus as a star because it's so bright. And thinking it was a star couldn't quite explain why it was the only star in the sky that moved. Well, we know now that it's because it's a planet, not a star. And so, they developed myths to explain why Venus changed locations in the night sky. The story of Aftar was therefore then used to explain its behavior thus the origins of the fallen star or fallen angel. We can even see where the name Beelzebub originates by looking at the Canaanite religion. It also shows up in the Bible, and scholars believe that it stems from an ancient practice where basically you made fun of the competing religion's gods. So there was this god who was the prince of the underworld within Canaanite mythology named Baal, followed by epithet prince, so Prince Baal, full name Beelzebub Ars, or Prince of the Underworld. At some point, this is translated into Hebrew and becomes Beelzebub, which translates to Lord of the Flies, so essentially demoting their competing religion's God. Another influence on the evolution of the devil is language. The languages of the Bible, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek, are complex and nuanced languages that often don't have like-for-like words in the English language. One example of this is there's the word hell. And a lot of words were bulk translated into hell that derive from Hebrew and Greek terms that often meant very different things. So an example of this is the Hebrew word Sheol. There's no mention of fire. It just simply means land of the dead. And there's no division, by the way, between the good and bad people. It's just a place where everyone went. Fire doesn't even enter in the equation until around the first century. And then there's the Greek term Gehenna. This was actually a physical place outside of Jerusalem that was used to burn bodies. At one point, it was the site where worshipers of the god Molech sacrificed infant children with fire. I think we can all agree that's not good. The prophet of Jeremiah even speaks out against this practice. During the Maccabean period, it was used to burn the bodies of their enemies. It was a horrible place where fires constantly raged and human beings were being tortured and killed. So, looking at the Hellenistic period the Hebrew language starts to die out. Not many people speak it anymore. Uh, Most people speak Greek. And so Alexander the Great commissions a translation of the text into Greek, the language of the people. Around the third century, this translation project creates some issues around the translation of the word Satan into the word Diabolos, which has a much more restricted semantic range than the original term, which takes us from one who accuses or opposes to the Greek word diabole. Which means a false accusation or slander, and ultimately diabolos, which means false accuser or slanderer. The Greek translators had to make an interpretive decision, thus adding a negative connotation to the original word. So we go from the Hebrew word satan to the Greek word diabolos to the English word the devil. Additionally, we can look at some other issues like Saint Jerome in the fourth century. Uh, was translating the Bible into Latin, and he chose to retain the Hebrew term Satan as a proper name. So as opposed to the Satan that we see in the Old Testament, where it's lowercase s, it became Satan with a capital S. In other passages, he chose to translate the word into the Latin words adversar or adversarium, meaning adversary. Now moving on, or rather going back, to the creation story, there's lots of references of angels. And Jewish scholars uh, uh, used to talk about these obscure passages, and you can still see them, they're still in there. Uh, these references to these angelic beings called the Nephilim. These are divine beings, uh, they're a race of giant people called the sons of God. And these giant people come down to earth and they see these beautiful earth women. I get it, I get it. But they see these beautiful earth women, and instead of doing what they're supposed to do, they marry the earth women and they make babies. Uh, resulting in these children that they call the Nephilim. So, in and of itself, that's a strange story. But if we compare it against other cultures during that same time period, this would have sounded a lot like demigods from other religions. You know, we can see examples like Hercules or Gilgamesh or Maui for the Disney fans out there. All these are demigods. So, taken in this context, not as strange. So, let's look at the story and fast forward a little bit. This is used or perhaps was used to explain the original story of evil in the sense that it became the story of demons as fallen angels. So it mirrors the fall of humanity and the garden of Eden, perhaps taking a myth that speaks about these demigods who came to earth and lusted after earth women and are being punished. You see more support for this idea in other texts found outside of the Bible, like the book of Enoch and the book of watchers or Jubilees fun reads, but gets real weird, real quick. They seem to feed into this developing mythology. A lot of the famous features of hell seem to show up in the texts, like the book of Judith, uh, where hell is a place of fire and weeping and worms. Jesus is born into a very Hellenistic society, and the stories surrounding Jesus reflect that time period. Dualism, or black and white thinking, is fairly evident by the time of the New Testament and even further within the Apocrypha texts. The Apocalypse of Peter that goes further into the nature of hell Uh, He talks about loan sharks being thrown into a vat of excrement up to their knees, uh, disobedient children hanging upside down next to flesh-eating birds. It's this text that really brings home the idea of Satan and his minions being tormentors in hell. Yet another influence on the evolution of the devil may have been the interpretations by Christians over the centuries trying to make sense of the clues left in the Bible. Origen, an early Christian theologian, took and transformed ideas from the book of the Watchers and took things a different way by going to the book of Job and he takes Jerome's Latin translation and takes Jerome's term morning star or Lucifer and identifies it as Satan himself. So now it's identified as a person. Origen comes up with his backstory where Satan is created along with the angels long before the creation of the physical universe, which contradicts this Jewish tradition that angels are created on day two. So anyway, Satan and his demons are originally angels who rebel against God. In this version, it's not the lust for human women, but rather the sin of pride. So hearkening back to the story of El and his creation of Aftar. So where does this idea of the devil being this red guy with a pitchfork and hooves and all that stuff come from? Well, the influence and impact of art and literature clearly comes into play. So if we look at the medieval period... Uh, It kind of produces this entire look. And keep in mind, mass literacy didn't really exist until more recently from a historical perspective. So in those days, one of the ways you communicated deep theological ideas was through art and depictions of the stories of the Bible. So you can't read, you can still see. And some of the influences that may have taken place during this Hellenistic period were things like the Greek god Hermes. And Hermes had a son named Pan. Pan is depicted as uh, being shown with horns, cloven hooves, a tail, and a goatee. Clearly, you know, it looks pretty identical to the common image of the devil. The pitchfork looks very similar to Poseidon's trident as well. And one of the only ways you can really kind of tell the two apart is that most of the time Pan is holding a pan flute uh, versus the devil who's holding his trident. Uh, Additionally, literature of the time had a massive impact on the modern view of Satan, namely Dante's Inferno and Milton's Paradise Lost. Uh, You may have read those back in the day in like senior classics, but these depictions in these fictional stories clearly had a major influence on our idea of hell and the devil today. So, to tie this all together, we see the origins of the devil as the adjective Satan to the deity of Satan with a capital S to translations from Hebrew into Latin, into English, giving us the devil. We see Hellenistic, Zorinastrius, Canaanite influences helping Jewish theologians reconcile the problem of the origins of evil. We see Christian theologians compiling this information and perhaps adding their own touch. And we see literature and art during the medieval period influencing the visual images of hell, so ingrained in the public consciousness today. And there are many other influences that I didn't include in this, podcast because it would be like 12 hours long. But they no doubt also contributed to the impact on the current image of hell and the devil. So is hell a fiery place of eternal conscious torment or an amalgamation of various ideas and influences over the centuries? Is the devil a real entity who along with his legion of demons is out there right now attempting to steal away your soul? or a myth created to explain the presence of evil in the world? I don't know the answer to these questions. But what I do know is that human beings, when at their very worst, when we live lives where the focus is greed and hatred and fear, instead of humility, grace, and love, in those moments, we bring about all the hell you can possibly imagine. And in those moments, I see the devil clearly standing before me, and he looks a lot like us. Thanks for listening to this week's bonus Halloween episode on hell and the devil. If you enjoyed it, I did a similar bonus episode on my other show, the deconstructionist podcast, a few years back. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes and spreading the word as always. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. So you don't miss a single episode. This episode was written, produced, and performed by me, John Williamson. Thanks as always for listening to from the void.